Hey everyone, welcome to episode 20 of the Thirst for Knowledge podcast. It's me, your host, Lawrence, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Stephen Hendrickson. How are you doing, Steve? I'm okay. My team my team lost this weekend in football, but nobody cares about football. They don't listen for that. Yeah, I, I don't... I, I heard there was some sports stuff going on, and I honestly just didn't care. So... Um, what what team was that? The Patriots? Is that who you root for? Yes, yeah, I'm a Patriots guy. Tom Brady's been crushing it. He's 43 years old. It's really cool to to have seen it. But then I had explained to my kids at the same time, like, you know, son, like my two children, they're not always supposed to be in the Super Bowl. So <laughs> it was kind of a cool learning moment since they've won like six rings and everything else and. You know, well, Tom Tom has, and they've just been so successful. They've either, you know, been in the AFC Championship or the Super Bowl almost every year that my youngest has been alive. <laughs> and I've been trying to explain to him that's not normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He can't so. always be the goat, I guess. Him being in his 40s is absurd, given the sport. Um, you think that he would have tapped out by now, just the amount of wear and tear you'd experience playing football. But, hey. Oh, my gosh. This year, he took the wear and the tear. He had no O-line. It was like paper, and he just kept getting smashed onto the ground all the time. And I was just like, I'm three years younger, and I fall down once, and I'm kind of like, I'm kind of done for a little bit. Let me take a day off. <laughs> He's having like 300 <laughs> pounds of man just slap into him. Oh, whew, it's so bad. He's, I mean, I don't even, I don't even know, but you know, it, it's definitely, you know, humbling to watch it happen. There was also other things that happened this weekend. Yeah. Right? The legacy, uh, championship playoff thing happened. Um, this was what the, all of the quarterlies were leading up to. Um, I believe the legacy one had 63 out of the 64 players play it. The 64th player who didn't play it was Zach Allen, who opted to play uh, SCG Columbus, and his team won. So, <laughs> pretty, pretty good, good for him, Good right? choice. Gets a, if, I, I mean, think he gets an invite to the PT off of that. Yes, he does. And he played the same deck, just with, you know, in Modern, that he would have played in right. Legacy. He was playing Vance Stoneblade. No, he didn't play Vance Stoneblade. Uh, he played. Uh, oh, that's right. He played no, Urza. He played Bug Titan. He played Urza. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's. See, the problem was I watched it like two last two days condensed, and everybody's decks were almost always the same. So I kind of lost track. You're right. He played Simic or whatever Sultai Titan because it was the weirdest deck. Mm-hmm. I've seen. A lot of the teams consisted of um, some mix of Urza, Titan, and. That was it, but regardless, uh, yeah. The looking at the playoff results, it's it's kind of interesting. Just skimming through the list, we're seeing a good chunk of uh, what I'm not surprised to see. We're seeing a good bit of dredge just floating around, which is to be expected. Like Arkin played dredge, and he always dredges in these events. And there's so many uh, of these 
four color like snow decks uh it seems like an insane number but um what i am uh, oko is what's insane to me <laughs> the number of decks with oko like across the field. oh yeah for sure like if i saw a dredge deck next week with oko in it i'd be like yeah okay <laughs> That's that's almost where I'm at. Yeah. What what interests me is like these uh these snow decks. We've seen different uh approaches to building them. And I we've seen people move away from counterbalance and now we're starting to see people move back towards it. Uh Andy S. C. Wilson played two counterbalances and one Sylvan library in his list with uh two Jace, three Oko, one Teferi. And it looks like he's not playing like the counter or the um, Pyroblast and Veil of Summer in the main deck that we've seen Anurag Das and uh, a few others adopt. And I don't know. How, how do you feel about his list in 10th place? Also, shout out to Nolrod in the uh, Arkham's Astrolabe deck. Yeah, uh, I started with a list... I don't know if you remember, we talked about it, like it was probably six episodes back or seven, but I was playing Counterbalance and Sylvan Library because that was like a cool wombo combo to me. Like, wow, I can like kind of keep my Counterbalance without investing in Jace or something as far as keeping it up. Um, so I loved, I love that. I don't know if I like Counterbalance since I dropped it from my list because numbers are really wonky threes are very prevalent in the format so i don't know if i like that part of it um but everything else i think is great i don't even mind like i probably wouldn't play the counter spell i'd probably just play a second force negation because he's tapping out a lot yeah i could see that being but better i could also see like a dovin's veto potentially being the a good choice there um i don't know i just found the counterbalance is interesting because we were discussing them in the Miracles Cabal. Um, Brad Bonin was talking about circling back to playing counterbalance again because it's, you know, it's good against like Tess, uh, which I think is the better Storm deck right now. And it also is like a counter spell that can kind of deal with Veil of Summer. Um, as long as you have cantrips, right? Yeah, I, I don't mind. Yeah, I don't mind counterbalance. I just don't... It, it's going to get your ones. That's about it. I mean, there's a lot of weird wonky numbers out there right now. Bedlam Revelers out of Delver. Mm-hmm. Um, Brazen Borrow or Instant Speed 3s. So, it's really a strange time. Um, it's all, it's going to clean your ones up, but there's just so many weird numbers from all the Right, decks. it seems odd to play counterbalance... Uh, in part for what you said, all of these weird converted mana costs floating around, but also especially after Miracles is cutting cards like Purity and Important. So you can't even manage your counterbalance as well as you could previously. Uh, so that strikes me as something that's potentially... Uh, could be potentially considered wrong. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. Like, I don't mind it when they play, <clears throat> you know, multiple... I play multiple libraries with mine. He's playing one, at least, or she. Andy, this person's no, playing one. He. So that's cool. I'm pretty sure. 
Okay. But but I just don't really I don't know if the investment in it is worth it because there's actually threes that matter. But you have to stop certain threes right now. So I don't know if I like tapping out for counterbalance. I wonder and then getting Okoed or Teferi. I wonder if the counterbalance is just like the blue him to Turok. Okay, I wonder if he's less concerned in actually having the, sp- the card resolve, and he's more just like, here's a thing I can jam my mana into, that my or jam mana and force my opponent to respect, and then I can jam Oko next turn, right? And then yeah. that could potentially be it, which I don't I dislike could see, that at all, to be honest. But I could see that being a second library and then another... Teferi. I don't know if you want... Three Oko, two right. Teferi. That just sounds like a lot of mana issues, but I could see like a Snapcaster or something. But uh, I, you know, it's it's all kind of arbitrary. Because um, I feel like Library is like when I played Library, it was like the card that had yeah, Library. Library just decks. bodies everything. Um, having a super yeah. cantrip is insane. Well, the Oko, Oko, like Oko affords you the ability to like. Draw extra mm-hmm. cards. It's like the other, 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 other mode on Oko. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like a... They, they kind of combo off really well together. Or synergize. And... and um, Oh, uh, I was just going to say that Library also synergizes well with your Miracle effects. Right. Right. I, it's just... It's really kind of dumb. <clears throat> Pardon me. When you look at this, it's just like a... I really like the libraries. Um, I like them over the veils in the main. If the format is going to diversify a little more, I like the the effects that are far more general. So, you know, the, I don't even know if the veils are actually good against the Delver decks since they're blue red Delver decks primarily. Well, I wouldn't put too much stock in this tournament as like a snapshot of the metagame. But in terms of veil versus Delver decks, I've uh, been watching Honorog stream and min streamed a bit and what i noticed against delver is that like of course veil is going to be a powerful effect but the issue is that it forces you to have plus one mana uh against like the day spell pierce deck which can be a bit dubious and then on top of that it's forcing you to have green and you're often trying to like resolve green spells uh with veil up so you put yourself in a position where in order to resolve your relevant effects, you basically always have to have an astrolabe and excess mana. Uh, and that isn't really reliable. Like when you look at these decks, they have, you know, the Mystic Sanctuaries, they have three, sometimes four dual lands in the main. Um, I noticed that <coughs> uh, Anrag Ved and, uh, not Anrag Ved, uh, Men, sorry. Um, I noticed they were getting wastelanded at a very high rate compared to miracles in the past and it was kind of concerning to me uh, so i i'm not really inclined to want these effects that increase like that i don't want to be more mana dependent against delver we've talked about this uh i don't know if we've talked about it on the cast but one of the things that i've always found odd is how many people like raise their mana curve against Delver decks with the idea that they're just going to grind the Delver deck out and just be really slow. And your Delver opponent isn't cutting their free interaction 
so you're trading one and two mana for zero mana constantly, which just gives them this insane tempo advantage. And I think that even gets worse for you when there are cards like Dreadhorde Arcanist and um, Bedlam Reveler floating around that allow the Delver deck to just push an advantage. It's it's not the Rug Delver days where you would like answer two cards and then just slam something, right? Yeah, rest in peace, counterbalance, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. Like, you just resolve something and win. No, I like that's what's kind of like going to was like I don't like if if there were more Grixis decks running around with thought seizes and stuff, I wouldn't mind the main deck veils. But I feel like the blue red Delver decks are kind of like there's some of them that are Grixis, but they're not really Grixis. They're just blue red splash black, and it's just like these blue red decks, and the veils can create awkward tensions where you're just forever playing into the soft remission of Delver while having a card that you end up like cycling against a Delver. Like you'll, you know, eventually you'll they'll cast a Delver and you'll just have to cycle it because you're tired of holding your mana up. And it's just kind of, it's not, it's not what you want in Legacy. Yeah. So like a common, um, uh, lost my train of thought there. Um, so a common issue in deck building that I see is people trying to be too greedy and put too many powerful effects in their deck, regardless of like the opportunity cost. And if you can cast your spells, you're going to win a lot of the times. And I think that there's, it's common to get trapped into the idea of just like trying to have all of the most powerful things possible. And what I've noticed is just a lot of stumbling on mana and I, I worry that people are going really hard on the blue soup arms race when they don't necessarily need to. Um, Like if we look at the, I mean, you look at the top eight, right? Just look at the top eight. There's what zero blue soups. Uh, yeah, but there's like bl- the rest of the tournament is so much blue soup. Um, all right, but I mean, like these decks didn't care about blue soup is what I'm trying to say. Like, like these decks were all very volatile, harsh decks that acted very quickly on all their axes. Like instead of you set having to fight your mana and setting stuff up and filter the bad cards that aren't appropriate in the matchup, these decks are just trying to kill you. Every one of these decks that did well. Bara played no rug. Um, Depths. Um, even the even the four C the four C decks or five C yeah, decks, whatever. The Loomless or that one was five <laughs> like, colors technically. Yeah, but I mean they're all playing <clears throat> stuff that they're trying to get you dead. They're not they're not setting up anything. And they're not having to fight like harsh effects you know thought seize is cool because it's thought seize right you don't it's not like it's not the right effect or anything like that you're always in a cast of thoughts yeah i think what you're getting at is that all of these effects are really good at punishing you if you stumble and like what i was saying is that the these blue soup decks are constructed in such a way where it's way more likely for them to stumble 
So even though they may be good per se, like these blue suit decks in the metagame, they have like a very clear exploitable flaw, and it seems like that flaw did get exploited throughout this tournament. Yeah, it's like, for me, like, it's basically it comes down to when when people played Pyroblast in their main deck because Miracles was the best deck, and really it was just the Miracle Pilots headhunting each other. Mm-hmm. It made more sense because, like, the metagame was very defined. I don't know if I could say, looking at the last, like, four weeks of data, that the metagame is defined. I do think there's, like, some best decks, but I don't know if these effects work in all those things like you could have these effects and matchups and they just don't do anything so like why exploit your main deck when you have your sideboard for a reason uh yeah like i understand the idea behind it right the the veil is good enough against depths and storm and the mirror and the pyroblast answers oka which can be a problem and like i think there's pretty easy justifications for these effects to see play but um but you could also drop the power level and run a a little bit of a weaker card or a little you know less efficient card that it answers more things like you could run a council judgment over red blast because council judgment answers more things like you give up on some combo matchups percentage points but yeah i've been i've been like, trying to hammer out a list for an article that i'm working on uh, that's focused on deck tuning and like using the process of working on four colors and you know kind of an avenue to accompany the concepts that i'm presenting and council's judgment is a card i thought about uh stefan schultz played a copy in 16th place and I'm not against Council's Judgment per se. My main worry is that I don't want too many double white cards in the one Tundra, one Plains deck. Um, it, it's yeah. You're leaning on you're leaning on Astrolabe, right? Really so hard. it's like you don't like Pyroblast and Council's Judgment functionally require the same tax from Astrolabe in your mana uh, as each other, and like one of these effects is one mana, one is three. Obviously, Council Judgment is a little more flexible, per se, um, in terms of just answering general things, where Pyroblast is a much more narrow effect. It's all its all just a matter of opportunity cost, and I, I have some ideas on where to maybe go with these decks to streamline them a, a bit, like, just enough to not make it feel like they're so horribly overworked in terms of trying to find space for all the cards they're playing. I mean, I'm I'm not going to lie. When I look at these lists, it makes me want to break my ports out. (laughs) Like, are you telling me you're only going to run one basic plan? Yeah, but ports ports only good if you have um, Revoker in play. Like, that's the issue. Like with um, right, or even Ghost Quarter, right? I guess it's like Astrolabe just answers every traditional mana denial aspect that you'd use against these decks. So it's like, yeah, <coughs> Port and Ghost Quarter seem really nice at face value, 
but ultimately do they do enough like as a whole probably not uh against the format and hey like if i play my sphere of resistance my ports are great uh, <laughs> like <clears throat> i mean i guess you could like you're never you're never resolved. you could like oko a uh what is the card you could oko an astrolabe if you really want to but I'm, I'm just not sure that's necessary. Um, there, I feel like there are just way like other ways to sidestep these these blue soup decks. Uh, I'm looking at you know like the new Bryant Cook uh, TS list. Uh, I'm sure he worked on it with Anthony Verde and um, his name escapes me. The the artifact the artifact uh, artifact yeah, just tests? like. Straight Black Belcher, the Quad Veil main deck. Um, that stands out to me as a, a way to punish people. Or, you know, Callum top aided the challenge with um, Hogak. And he mentioned that he felt feels like Hogak is potentially the best deck in the format. And that doesn't surprise me. Because... The deck is fairly degenerate. It requires very specific graveyard hate within a certain window, and it can answer all of its graveyard hate as needed. Like, Calum has four Thoughtseize, four Leyline, four Force of Vigor, three Assassin's Trophy, and then just a very stock main deck of Bug Hogak. So, you know, that's a potential Punisher effect. Um, I'm not sure how Moon Zombie top aided. I guess Chalice of the Void dot deck can do well anytime Delver's rising in popularity. So, or not Chalice of the Void dot deck, but Moon Zombie specifically can do well anytime Delver's spiking in popularity, which it has been lately. So I think that, I think that there's a lot of room. Well, if all the decks are, if all the decks are playing Astrolabes, right? Like, these these four color soup decks and some of these other decks like the the moonstoppy deck if it wins the die roll it's got a percentage yeah the right issue there, is right? that if you do get like a basic land plus astrolabe blood moon is basically turned off and oko can single-handedly crush this deck i've seen it happen an embarrassing number of times uh like by right these... i mean that's if you're playing into it right like he's got goblin rabble masters and he's got creatures yeah, I, right it's the same creature suite which i i don't think the main deck is really that well set up against oko but the sideboard is like the two pyroblasts the two chandra awakened inferno right <clears throat> these are cards people are playing for to punish these dirtily oko and treat angels decks or the thomas mar deck yeah we, we actually me and negator were talking about this deck um on last week so this because this was the same deck almost um so they oko a creature and then you get to bone crusher giant to oko and attack with the elk yeah okay that makes sense like you get to clear the oko i guess um like and you still have an elk and then the giant coming off i think my like you're still you're still you're still working ahead and you got eight walkers eight walkers three trinospheres main this man, this man came to Rumble. Yeah, I think my issue is that um, 
the blue white X X sometimes X shells don't necessarily have to like they can they can sometimes potentially ignore your early game stuff and just save their counter magic for your walkers but you know every game's gonna play out differently uh, and like I said this person has Chandra's they have pyroblasts you mentioned the bone crusher giant plus attack with elk thing to clear oko so it's not it's not like they are totally in a position where there's nothing they can do you know they have they have game um i mean i really think this is like the most game i've seen from the list plus the karns seem cool against the astrolabe decks like you've got astrolabes they've got a karn so you can't tap it for any color mana anyways so like their blood moons are kind of back on then. Yeah, true. I mean, I'm not saying the deck's perfect because it's still it still has a fail rate, but like I do like the fact that they actually have a removal in this deck for once instead of just not never having a removal of watching themselves get smashed to death by an early Delver deck, like an early Delver, and then you know being dead to it. Like they play a lot of hate in this deck. I the 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 main deck Trinosphere's is like. This is mind numbing. Well, <laughs> in the, from Mono three ball seems kind of great right now, uh, so I can get behind that. There's a lot of, you know, it's it's legacy. There's a lot of cheap things happening, um, but also people are cutting cantrips that actually select cards for cantrips that blindly draw and fix mana. So I can see how Trinister would be better. I, I think the format is looking kind of diverse, which is nice. A couple weeks ago, Max Gilmore stated that he felt like the Bedlam Reveler Grixis Delver deck was just like the best deck in the format, and I feel like that may have been too, like he may have been very hasty in making that statement. Um, but the thing that stands out the most to me in this tournament is the fact that just straight up blue white miracles won. Like we have all of these. Uh, snakes floating around and all everything, and we just have just straight up blue white miracles or like the four color decks and everything like that. Um, triple counterbalance in the main deck, two councils judgments, only two snapcasters, which is interesting, and then no back to basics in the main, but two in the sideboard, and it's mystical dispute <laughs> look at mystical dispute yeah. from blue white i can't play red blast so i'll play blue red blast mm -hmm. <laughs> it just strikes me as odd that this one uh i assume the pilot's very good but this is like the old um the the rugved honorog dos list before they stopped playing um and went to the to the green blue soups because they they liked only two snapcaster mages a lot yeah it um the, this is like an old stefano list right this is just every stock yeah. predict list from like a year and a half ago but with like mystic sanctuary jammed into the mana base i'm not sure about this caracas but uh I, yeah <laughs> like i get it you're on 20 land so maybe you're fine playing caracas but Mystic Sanctuary really does tax your mana uh, and how you want to sequence things. So I, 
I would be a bit trepidatious to play Krakas over like a, a third tundra. I I don't know if I'd play three tundra. I would just play like another fetch. I think I would probably want at least one. Um, Actually, ninth fetch works right. Ninth, because he's only got eight. What is the prismatic vista? Even though yeah. like it doesn't fetch your mystic sanctuary having. Even when you're playing blue white, there's these situations where you turn one fetch island off a of flooded strand, <coughs> and then you're just like, "Oh god, I have to cantrip into basic planes now," because I can. Pr- I'm probably never fetching it, and there's going to be more tension put on your flooded strands because of Mystic Sanctuary. So having some number of Prismatic Vista uh, to get basic planes or take some stress off of your other fetches that can actually get your mystic sanctuary as needed sounds like something i'd do it'd probably have to be a planes though it'd have to be a planes effect so tundra or planes because he needs the extra white source because he's only got four white sources yeah vista does that right it doesn't have any it acts as a fifth prismatic vista does that though right it acts as a fifth fetch no 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 I'm talking about permanent white sources. Do you need it? Do you really need a fifth white source with two planes? I always, when I played straight blue white, I always needed five, just because of t- uh, port decks, because like they can wasteland your two tundras and then port you twice, and you don't have any white sources in your main, in your main phase one. Yeah, like it's definitely a pain, and I I, I get it. Like I've played triple planes and. Uh, straight blue white with two tundra or whatever but i think that right now as the metagame is looking i would probably just risk it and play the extra fetch especially like i don't i don't think you can really afford a third planes with mystic sanctuary and i don't think you want to play five wastelandable lands and um blue white straight blue white miracles i think you just get punished way too easily I <clears throat> I agree with no basic planes because of Mystic Sanctuary. I don't think Tundra is a problem. If you, I think if you're playing Caracas, anyways, that Tundra is just a better Caracas. Is what I'm guessing. But that's sure. What I mean. I, like if you, like your mana. If better. you're gonna play the non, if your heart's set on playing the non basic, there you play the Tundra. But I don't yeah. know if I would play either. I, I'm really leaning towards just another fetch. Makes your cantrips better. Makes your like it makes your other fetch lands better. You know, you get to do more with your counterbalances and mystic sanctuary. Like I think the extra fetch has a lot of utility in this deck uh, with how it's constructed. See, there's the thing. I like when I because I played mystic sanctuary miracles a lot. I like third tundra because I like getting to the first sanctuary. Like I, I don't have to get planes for a while. Like I, I'm, I, I'm susceptible to wasteland, but yeah, I. Like I look at these decks, and even when I'm playing Street Blue White with Mystic Sanctuary, I really just want Astrolabe in my deck. Even if it's just like a two of Astrolabe, I think it does so much for your mana. Um, like not having to fetch basic I mean, planes forever is really nice. Just be able to operate on like high tide that's, mana. Yeah, that's what made me move to the Astrolabes originally. Was because I didn't 
it was awkward. Like I didn't want to be wastelanded, but I never wanted to trade get my points. exactly. But I like this person obviously did well. They they beat the mono red person, so that's why mono red lost was because they played against seven basic land guy in round one mm-hmm. <laughs> of the top eight. Oh, and then they like, beat Utley twenty six, the imperial painter. But could but I mean, could you imagine like? Look at the rest of the decks. Like the Mono Red deck would have just slapped. And then who do they face first? But Mr. or Mrs. Seven Basic Lands. So, <laughs> like, that, that's just not a, that's just not how you're like, what? Like, if, if they would have saw all the decks from their list, they would have been like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to have some good times. And then they get paired up against the one person who's like, I don't care about Trinisphere because my deck's slow and dirtily. I don't care about Blood Moon. I just care about Chalice and Rabble mm-hmm. Master. Pretty much. And I'm not even sure if they care about Rabble Master. Plus, they have like more answers to Planeswalkers in their main deck than anyone else in the challenge in the top eight. So, did you see the next deck? The 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 Imperial. Painter? Yeah, that's just oddly. They just always play Painter. Um, every time I've played against them, they've been on Red White Painter with yeah, some number of Aetherstorm Canonists and mm-hmm. E-Tutor. And Smuggler's Copter, because they want to get smug with it. I just love yep. it. Loot Scoot. Loot. I don't... The one Blood Moon in my deck that can't that it's got E Tutor and that's it for consistency. Well, it's for E Tutor one and um three sorry three E Tutor and the Smuggler's Copters, but I do kind of think that like what Impure Recruiter can also tutor up Magus of the Moon, so maybe it's just better to have that as another creature, but it's just weaker to interaction. Yeah. So, you know, I get the Blood Moon. I think playing a functional four of card is fine. And um, when you have all of your tutor effects, that's or not tutor effect. You have tutors plus your looter scooter. You're probably like just good enough. And like, it's a fine filler card. It's just like a nice one of that's going to just cheese a stack of matchups. Um, and it's probably better than playing just like another arbitrary blast or whatever in the main. Yeah, I mean, you're probably correct. I just look at certain numbers and I'm like, I'd, I'd rather have another one of these. I'd rather have another one like of these. Like what? But, um, another spirit guide for fast mana. Another e-tutor if you're going down that path. Another... Goblin Engineer because, or Goblin Welder, because I actually Engineer because it tutors. Like, it's hard to say. I need to. Ha- I'm gonna have my one Blood Moon in my opener against the one deck that needs a Blood Moon for it in a consistent. Well, manner. you have you have the like Enlightened Tutors, and like in terms of goblins, you're playing six functionally six goblins, and then you also have Impure Recruiter. I. Well, I just like Engineer because he can go get what I want. I I think Engineer gains a bit more value in the lists that play like, um, what's the thing, Sundering Titan? There's some lists that, 
I've seen running around with Sundering yeah. Titan, and like that gets more value. But this list isn't necessarily getting the most value out of that. I guess it has like the ensnaring bridge and one LED and the smuggling and uh, smugglers copters. That was a scoot. I want a scoot, man. How hot is it? Engineer, go get scoot. That's hot. <laughs> to me, yeah. that's hot. If I'm gonna play a mediocre deck like this, like that's gonna be kind of like not a. I love this deck because it's fun and it checks the blue the blue decks, but it's not it's not a it's not the power force that it used to be, unfortunately, because Oko's exist. Yeah, I I don't know. I think I do like the one of Bloodman. I I see it being just randomly useful enough, and it's not taking up so much deck space that you're going to get negative and negatively impacted by it by like an insane margin. I think it's just weird to me because they didn't reinforce reinforce them in the sideboard, so like that's like like where it's hard for me. But they do have four lightning bolts, so like they may just go beat down on you. I'm pretty sure those four lightning bolts are for Delver. I, I there's a world where it exists where I get to see this deck just become a beat down beast. I, I want it to happen. It's not going to, but I want it to happen. Yeah, I could. I also like like. You you can do a goblin grinding station plan, but like the lightning bolts are probably just to answer like Dreadhorde Arcanist and random collector oofs, right? Just cards that uh Oh yeah. Follow no, that's what it's for. You know? I just want it. <laughs> I just want it. Like there that we were talking about there was um there was I might heard it on another podcast, they were talking about someone's deck back in the day how it shifted from a combo deck into a beatdown deck and like it got people because no one expected it and i see these four lightning bolts and i'm like oh man that's like as beat down as we can get because <laughs> like i mean those those could easily be swords to plowshares and then that would make more sense to me because that's for merit lage and delver but this is for lightning bolts so that makes me go huh well Thalia, you know. Collector Oof, uh, Delver, all, like Delver's Creature Suite. Um, there, like there's generic hate bears, Revoker, right? These are just all effects that you need to answer in your deck. And Lightning Bolt is the most efficient thing in red. And you wouldn't just go with the white route for... Uh, for for uh, Merit Lage as a bonus. This deck doesn't actually want white mana like ever though right <laughs> no just for either sworn cannons. yeah and it's like arguable that you could replace the canonists with something else you could play like dampening sphere right like the oh yeah the white package isn't necessarily doing that much i guess you can't you can't play wet ball because of uh it would shut off your own tombs and traders but maybe it's fine too I, maybe you're fine with that. Yeah, that's like one of those slots where it's probably there to impact your opponent more than impacts you. Like obviously, Aethersworn Canonist is just insane for this deck because it's almost never going to have its own spells restricted, whereas Wet Ball would do right. so. But well, imagine you know, play my artifact to win the game. They force a will. You get to go red blast, <laughs> and that's it. That's like you built your into fairy. 
So, what do you think about um blue green only infect that this deck baffles me? It's like a time warp. I mean, every time I've seen infect splash a third color, it's always been kind of embarrassing, and. We've had conversations about all the weird things I've had Infect players play against me. Chill, um, some random other... I Like, I've had Great Sable Stag played against me, but now they just get to jam Oko into their deck and they don't get the mistake of playing bad cards. So, here we go. Seems fine to me. Well, this was... This one's only playing the Okos in the sideboard. That's so fine. that was cool. Like, they were up front. Like, I'm a legacy deck. I'm here to kill people. And then if I have to grind, yeah, I will. exactly. You like the whole point of like all those other cards was that Infect's game plan is very easy to attack post board for a lot of decks, and you need something to pivot. But a lot of the options to pivot were pretty terrible, and Oko is just like this perfect option because it just gives you the whole like threat that you need and then this list has just one sylvan library it also has a spell skite but um you know it has a few effects that cost life and oko offsets that and just may having an actual damage a beatdown plan uh for life total is pretty relevant also i just saw that this deck is veil of summer as well so all of this makes sense to me. Force of Vigor over Crosen Grip is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one Force of Vigor, or mm-hmm. two Force of Vigors. Like, because you have to, cause the things you have to get rid of are the cards that win the game. Like, it's not like you're pitching Force of Will to, like, a cantrip. You're only pitching things that help you win. So, what? I guess you have to. When you have to force a vigor, you have to force a vigor. I, I guess. But <clears throat> I wonder if it's truly better than Cross and Grip. I feel like there's some timing rest- like the timing restrictions on force of vigor. I could see that being truly problematic for this deck. But hey. Oh yeah. <clears throat> yep. I mean, like I said, I mean they have a lot of green cards. It's just what green cards they're pitching for me. Like you're pitching a creature that wins the game or a spell that wins the game. The only non-quantifying card in the main deck is Sylvan Library. The rest of it is... And, and I would challenge that Sylvan Library probably wins the game too, so... You know. You're probably fine pitching a pump spell uh, as opposed to like one of your creatures. And I guess Force of Vigor answers Blood Moon a lot easier... And Chalice. Yeah, so that's probably relevant for this deck. Um, since you get to... Like, you do... You get to two for one of them. You can, you can set that possibility up for a two for two, for two. So, I guess it's not bad. Yeah, and... And your the Blood Moon is... Right. Because they, they have got the colorless sources. So, I guess there are... So, their deck kind of... I, I guess counterbalance is less of an issue. And... Uh, cards like that so you're less worried about specific like weird uh, middle of the game effects that 
people used to play and you're more worried about these very fast lock pieces that if they stay on the board for too long you're just out of the game anyway so i guess force of vigor makes sense but anyway i think that's enough of us talking about random deck lists um i got one sure. question what what's with two two once upon a times in all these decks because like the two hogax they have two once upon a times and so did the um the four color alone like they're all just two once upon a time probably all they could fit in um the lone deck is probably fine just casting once upon a time at some point hogak i would expect more than two copies of once upon a time like you're an 18 land uh hedron crab deck I'd, I'd imagine you'd want this effect to make sure you're finding your lands in the early game uh but what else are you cutting like two grave crawlers seems like a pretty low number uh three carrion feeder like you can go the lotus box route of cutting all of the carrion feeders if you want but i think that just makes your deck kind of frail and puts you two in on either the combo plan or just hogak you're just really putting yourself at the mercy of your opponent either not knowing how to deal with your game plan or um not having the relevant hate so i'm not really the f biggest fan of that idea so it's probably just like a matter of here's all we could afford to fit in and the, and the last thing i'll say uh between Vantress Goblin and Grixis Delver at ninth place. Uh, this person, your screen names, underwater bimbo, but, yeah, Vantress Gargoyle, but drown in the lock. I, I love Is this the deck. Robert Wilson's yes. alt account. <laughs> this, looks I love like, the deck. this looks like a Robert Wilson pile, <laughs> just straight blue black Delver, drown oh. in the lock. Um, Vantress Gargoyle main deck Plague Engineer. Yeah, I'm I surprised. I'm surprised there isn't like a Eureka, right? So you can like play your Brazen Borrower and then attack and then ninjutsu it back. And... Oh man, yes. Can you say that like <laughs> ASMR? Like, just a little slower <laughs> for me. <laughs> no, seriously. I'll like I, I don't know how yeah. good Vantress Gargoyle is. I've seen it. I've had it played against me to mixed effect. I being able to like board in an ancient grudge against uh, this a Delver deck and get a two for one is a very weird feeling. But um, <laughs> you you say weird, you mean you get excited and hot and bothered. Yeah, I mean it's, <laughs> it's just like here's this double terminate in this card advantage based grindy matchup. But um, and the Esper Violist. I keep seeing the Esper Violas pop up in places, and I'm like, how are these people doing this? Is this a jealous because of the they, the Astrolabes? They're like, fine, we'll play Aethervire on all Esper deck. Like, and it's got Peacekeeper. Peacekeeper. We're keeping the peace. <laughs> Pe Peacekeeper in my, my attack deck. My mind is I think is I'm in a group chat with this guy. 
Can you can you tell me how the twenty six creature deck peacekeepers? Uh, I guess it, I guess they use. I open the chat and there's random talk about how peacekeeper keeps winning him games or something. I don't know. I. Uh, it's this is a deck. Yeah. It's. Fibble fip. Yeah, you you do the flickery thing. You have the soul herders. You you do the creature things. People stop hey, existing. As long as we're tithing, as long as we're tithing properly, it's fine. This is the type of deck that Bara <laughs> comes up with after like a long night of cough syrup and jazz music. Jazz, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Amen. Jazz. Ah, just one tithe. I don't want my fourth swords plowshares. I need a tithe. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I, I love the deck. I will never build it and play it. I'm not brave enough. Um, this is literally just one mana searcher planes, and then if you're, then if you're behind on lands, you get a, a pseudo land tax. Uh, you can search your library for additional planes if you control fewer lands. You don't get to put them in play. I know. <laughs> it's you're just, you're just picking them up. Why are we not playing Flower Flourish? Oh, Flower is basic land. That's why. Yeah. Yeah, this lets you get Tundra. Mm -hmm. And Scrub mm -hmm. Land. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Jesus. I don't want to look at this thing anymore. Um, so anyway, was chatting with uh, the guys in our Discord. And they kind of had some questions about just deck building and uh, just kind of some general questions uh, regarding that. So one of the ideas or one of the things that was stated was it, this is somewhat twofold. The like building a deck with cantrips versus building a deck without. So like the constraints you would put on yourself when building a deck like Agrolome or Shardless Bug was a deck that was mentioned that played that didn't play Ponder went during its heyday and opted to play more good cards. Uh, I think they wanted to get a better idea of the logic behind doing that, but also just how you should go about building uh, your deck from there. Like, there are some questions about, uh, you know, just density of effects, cantrips, haymakers, interaction... Uh, win conditions, uh, and then also some talk about sideboarding. So shall we dive a bit into that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've, I mean, this is something that actually has come up with me and my buddies. Um, the same, it's basically cantrip versus cantrip, last cantrips or no cantrips. So, um, like, what, what is your, uh, what is your concept behind the differences? Um, I guess... Let's just like break it down a bit more. So with cantrip centric decks, when building my lists, I tend to try and get the maximum out of my cantrips, right? Like when you have cantrips in your deck, you you don't have to mulligan as much. Your range of keepable hands is much wider. So let's look at something like um like a Noah Walker rug delver list, right? One, one of the multiple lists he top eighted with recently. 
if you look at his sideboards, his and this is pretty common for his deck lists going as far back as I can think. His sideboards usually consist of like two pyroblast, two surgical extraction, and then eleven one ofs. And that's something that's afforded to you when you're playing one of these cantrip centric decks because your ability to find a one of and leverage it within a specific window is pretty huge, right? It's, um, it's not an uncommon thing just by the nature of how these cantrips work within reducing variance and increasing the number of, um, like the, the higher range of opening hands you can keep. But when you look at something, uh, that doesn't play cantrips by comparison. Like, for example, uh, Jarvis U was streaming Goblins today. And I thought he posted his list on the Twitters, but apparently not. Uh, it was a Goblin Lackey list, I believe, though. If you look at something like uh, like the Graveyard Hate Effects you'll play, right? In Miracles or Delver or these blue cantrip-based decks, you'll see... Like some number, like two surgical extraction, maybe, and then some force negations. And then you'll see, like, maybe a relic of regentness or uh, a one of Tormod's Crypt or one of uh, Containment Priest. You know, that's something you're afforded. But when you look at a deck like Goblins or Aggro Loam, you should just play Leyline of the Void. And the reason for that is, like, when you, you're playing a blue deck, you have four Force of Will. You may have some dazes or whatever. You may have force of negation. And then you'll have your surgicals. So you'll have usually eight plus free interaction points for like a graveyard-based shell. Uh, we'll use Blackbird Reanimator as the example here. So you have like these eight interaction points, uh, if not more, uh, as your baseline. So you'll have whatever the math is on that. I think with four force of will, it's like 32% to have one plus a blue card in your opening hand. I don't remember the math on eight interaction points. I think it, I can't remember how much it goes up. I, I remember plugging this into a hypergeometric calculator at some point, but I don't remember the numbers. I don't know if you know off the top of your head, Steve. Uh, no, I, I used to. I yeah, I, I don't think it increases hey. an insane amount. I think it goes up like 10, maybe maybe 20%. I don't, I'm not sure if it's really a 50%. That sounds a bit too high. Um, but, you know, you'll have that baseline number. And then, say, for example, if you're on the play, you can keep a hand that has maybe a spell pierce or days and or like fluster storm and then some number of cantrips because you can then find your graveyard hate and leverage it but a deck like goblins or uh agrilome player draw your game against reanimator is going to be completely decided based on whether or not you have graveyard hate in your opening hand because you're not able to find it as quickly and having an effect like uh, relic of Regenesis or Surgical Extraction. That isn't going to be as good for you because, you know, Reanimator is going to have discard spells. Uh, 
So your inability to use something like Force of Will or Spell Pierce or Flusterstorm to protect your graveyard hate just means that you should lean in on something that just starts in play uh, because there, the number of games you're going to win where you don't just have your turn zero lay line are pretty far and few in between. So... It looks like it's... 42? Okay, yeah, that seems uh, pretty reasonable. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of what I was just getting at. Like, if you don't have the cantrips and these other, like, auxiliary effects to protect yourself, you have to lean in much harder on specific haymaker cards, and you're more likely to play a higher quantity of them, right? Um we mentioned that somebody may play like one or two copies of surgical extraction, whereas by comparison, goblins, loam, what have you, will want to play three to four copies of Leyline just to hit that as often as possible. Yeah, we used to play like so we used to have to play like four to four to six pieces of graveyard hate because we didn't play ponders. And so, the, like, the blue decks used to have to play the same numbers. But once they started adding the ponders for redundancy, you just basically, you got to cheat on a lot of things. Like, I mean, lands. I mean, think about, like, back in the day, like, a Miracles deck played, like, what, 22 mm-hmm. lands? Usually some number of Krakus so, like, in there. Like, it. Well, yeah. But, I mean, like, it was just the 22 right. lands. Like, the Krakus was a mm-hmm. spell and a land. But, like... If you think about it, like when you pull when you pull away, like the putting ponders in there, like every ponder equaled, like for every land you cut, it's two cantrips. Or every it's two cantrips per land. That's yeah, Turbo Xerox, if I remember correctly. Right, right. So for every land, you got two ponders. So like by cutting the two ponders, you got the twenty lands right. basically. And like it's not full on math, but it's close enough. And, and that let you play more effects. So, like, when I think about cantrips versus non-cantrips, the reason why cantrips are cool to me is because, you know, Wizards has lost his bloody mind in the last year. So there's all these super powerful effects. But you don't necessarily want to play a bunch of them, but you want to play them. But So having the cantrips lets you find these super powerful effects. You, you don't need... You know, like, you don't need you, to have four Oko in your deck ahead. to win the game. You can play two because the first copy is right. probably doing enough work for you, right? So it's it's that kind of logic. Right. Or like, or three Ren and Six, right? Like you could play three Ren and Six. Ren and Six was by far the best thing Delver, you know, received last year. But they only played three because they were pondics. right. It was it was a matter of balancing blue count and some other things, but. Most lists did play three, and then uh, a couple of people did play four for a short stint, and uh, I don't think that was. I mean, I I did it. I did Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I did Atlanta. I loved it, but at the same time, like you know, like you you didn't have to. Like the most successful decks were only playing three because they had the cantrips, and that gave them the slot to play Oko when it got printed, or play a Brazen Barrow in the main if they wanted to, or play magmatic sinkhole in the main like that gave them slots for these powerful one-of effects so i think that's when it comes down to like why you want a cantrip versus you don't want a cantrip you know the cantrip decks get the ability to play more flexible things that are powerful and kind of haymaker-ish 
in a called shot metagame. Like I'm, I'm making a called shot. I'm going to play this magnetic sinkhole in my main deck. And, you know, it could just be great. Right. It's like um, when Ren and Six got banned in the Legacy Premier League. I can't remember, keep the the event formerly known as the Legacy Mediocre League. Um, they are the okay. Legacy Premier League. Uh, like Jarvis submitted his Delver list and there was one true name, one brazen borrower. And the logic behind that was both cards are good enough to want access to in your main deck. Uh, and in an open metagame, you obviously don't know if you want to like lean heavily one way or the other. So you just play one of each because you have um, so many cantrips that you can probably find that effect when you need to. I mean, yeah. Right. I mean, if you look at all the decks, like certain decks that don't have cantrips, but they have ways to cheat, like Crop Rot, um, Knight of the Reliquary, even like the new Megas of the Crop Rot. Like, you know, th those are their versions of cantrips, but they, they can only find unique effects. And a lot of times, like, the Green Sun Zenith is a cantrip for those decks. But, like, once again, it's unique. Where the actual true cantrips, they, they get lands when you need them, they get spells when you need them, or they get powerful effects that you specifically want and that's i think the the allure of playing brainstorm ponder that makes sense you know you you feel like you have more agency. yeah for sure you definitely get more agency so if if you have the option to play brainstorm and ponder why would you do something like in you know in the infect list that we were talking about earlier there are only three ponder or um We've seen in like Bant Blade deck lists where there will just be four brainstorming. There'll be Green Sun Zeniths and a bunch of mana dorks. Or uh, as we mentioned before, Shardless Bug played Ancestral uh, Visions uh, in the slot that probably would have had Ponder. You could argue that that deck could have actually fit Ponder in it if players, you know, actually wanted to. But what's the logic behind, you know, cutting that effect to just play more lands and these other effects well so like i think it all comes down to how your deck is going to operate so like i think in infect i think you just play libraries like you know classic infect for me was you play a library effect or something like that because your man is busy activating ink mod nexus casting pump spells or protection spells you know your mana is like super busy in that deck because you're not trying to win the late game you're just trying to win the early game so like you know by reason like you're not going to cast ponder because you, you're if you're having a cast ponder you've kind of like made the game later than you really want your deck to go anyways so i think that's the reason for that deck because like you know the storm decks and stuff they ponder but like they're trying to set up a, a perfect hand where the infect deck is like they don't have that ability to they have to play their their infectors and or noble hierarch and then or activate ink moth nexus like their mana is tied up in their deck already so i don't know if they have the extra mana mana to ponder and then like shardless bug was another deck that was very mana intensive you know they they were casting him to turox goifs shardless agent being three mana so like the ponders in those decks you know, they kind of would be relegated for, you know, 
because like you're so busy with your just your cards in your hand. So do you think that there's a tent or is it common or have you noticed um, that decks that are, you know, you mentioned people trying to do a lot with their mana, but if you feel like these shells that are overwhelmingly proactive or have require a certain density of effects, are, are these decks more likely to just not play the additional cantrips, right? Like uh, Shardless had, was just, you know, packed to the gills with all of these, you know, good spells that turns one through six. You could argue that that deck always had something to do with its mana, so it never would have time to cast a ponder, right? Um, in fact, you mentioned, you know, turn one, it's playing a creature, uh, whether that be Noble Hierarch or um, Glistener Elf or, you know, maybe turn two, it's playing its Blighted Agent and it has to open, hold up a protection spell. So a cantrip like Ponder, you aren't going to be able to necessarily leverage it on turn one or two the way a Delver Shell may by comparison because you have to, like, in order to get your game plan to work cohesively you have to you're forced to be in a position where you're constantly utilizing or holding up mana for certain effects or proactively playing these effects or creating game states where these effects are going to come into effects or into into play right right i actually think it's because you know the mana intensity it's like so the delver decks the Delver decks only play Ponder, in, and this is probably like a little bit outlandish, but they have a very small creature count. So their their Ponders act like the creature that they need to go get and or the protection or kill spell they need to go get. So And and the Wasteland that they need to go get. So like their Ponders are basically like the wild card of their uh. deck. And they, because they, they're, I mean, a lot of, a lot of Delver players would love to go turn one Delver, turn two flip Delver, ponder for a wasteland, wasteland your land. You know, if, if you win the die roll, like you're probably happy with that. Delver well, I think it's a matter of a few things, right? Most like, of the time. Delver decks, you have a lot of cards that, you know, a card like Days is a 10 in some game states, and then it's like a negative 30 in other game states, right? And the same goes for Wasteland. The same goes for Delver. So you have a lot of cards in the Delver shells that are conditionally good. But the card Ponder, as you mentioned, it's a part of your mana base. It's a part of your threat suite. Uh, it flips your Delver, which is relevant. It provides that level of synergy, per se. Um, so, so it makes sense for a deck like Delver to utilize a card like Ponder when you have so many of these cards that can just trail off depending on the game state. Uh, whereas Infect, by comparison, right, like Infect is kind of like a Delver deck with a combo finish, but it's way more binary. You have pump spells, you have creatures, and you have protection spells. You're not trying to interact with your opponent's mana base, you're just trying to kill them as fast as possible. Um, so what you need is, you, you don't necessarily need specific effects as much, or, well, you need specific effects, but it is... Um, the effects you need don't vary in what they do to the game state, right? 
uh, Dover's the wasteland spell pierces, dazes, bolts, uh, creatures. In fact, pump spell, per- permission spell, creature. Uh, so that's why something like the well, in fact, they can't. They can't let the game go on. They don't have right. Like they that they actually have to actively get the game over with by a certain point, or you can you know brick wall them. Unless you know outside of Blighted Agent, of course. But like you know you 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 have to like create these weird scenarios where you're like I'm gonna berserk your attacking creature, you know whatever nonsense. You know they really can't they can't let a game go on. So it's almost like they don't have the time for ponder. Like they obviously keep three because they need because it does add to their blue count. And it does provide them with the ability to keep some bad hands. But, like, I do think that it's what it does. It creates an opportunity to keep a a weaker hand. Like, they don't want to go to five because they have a ponder. But, you know, they don't have a green creature in the opener. So they're basically, like, their first, their turn one play is going to be weak. But they have a ponder to save the hand. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that, for sure. Does that make any sense? Um, you keep your hand because the ponder could be anything, right? It's like, it, instead of, if you have a deck like Agrolum, you may need a hand that is uh, Mox, two to three lands, a Bob, or some sort of interactive piece, right? You, you need, you're evaluating your hands based on what is in front of you, whereas with these blue cantrips decks you are evaluating your hands based on like the range of things you could hit. So you look at like the baseline and of like, I have three lands and then you look at your spells. I have a creature removal spell and maybe a force of will. And then it's two cantrips. And it's when you look at that, it's well, this force of will is going to be good against a pretty good chunk of the field. Right. And then this removal spell is going to be good against a pretty good chunk of the field. And then these cantrips can help me navigate through, you know, all the bad cards in my deck to facilitate whichever half of the field I need to interact with from here on out uh, based on what my opponent is playing. And that, uh, and that is, like, how you evaluate your hands with these cantrip decks, whereas, like, you know, the the mulliganing heuristics are way more lenient for a deck with cantrips by comparison. Right. So I think like, you know, but I do think like when I look at a blue deck without, without four ponders, I have to look at it and go, okay, what's going on. And then like, if if it is man intensive, you know, it's one thing. If it's like Merfolk, of course, you know, Merfolk's never played cantrips, not because they play chalices, because even before they played chalices, they still didn't play them because all their effects are the same. So the cantrips were just kind of silly. You know, they don't make it. What's the point in casting Brainstorm or Ponder when all of your things are the same cards? So like you look at like the range of blue decks, like we we're in a the last like four years, maybe we're in this like crazy place where we've just keep getting stuff printed that makes our decks technically a little bit smaller, you know, force of negation, Oko to fairy, um, the coattles, the astrolabes, like our decks are getting just a little bit smaller and we're cutting places. Like, you know, if you would have talked to Lawrence in 2016 and said, Lawrence, you're only going to play three terminus 
and you're going to like it. And you're not going to have Sensei's Divining Tower, I... but you're still going to like it. <laughs> I would have called you a liar. Um, I right. still don't like playing three Terminus, uh, but it's just like a matter of how the numbers work out right now. Or did at the time when I was playing three Terminus. Because your deck's smaller, right? Uh, kind of. You just got a different draw engine, right? You lost top, but gained accumulated knowledge, so... You know, that's a whole that's a whole topic we can dive into, but that'll take us on a good thirty minute tangent on the implications of a card like accumulated knowledge when looking at effects like miracles. Right, but I guess like for me, like every like every year we're getting these new cards, our technical space in our deck is just shrinking, and we're and we're cutting and stealing from different spots. You know, from like from all places, but now ponder and brainstorm in the cantrip decks that we play, they're not going to get cut because they allow us to shrink these other numbers and play them effectively. But we're also not playing a deck that is trying to, you know, end the game in the first three turns generally. So it's one of those things. Like I don't think, you know, like the Charlotte's Asian deck, even though people it have a terrible closing speed. If they could pick its hand up, it would go like, I want a Thought Seize on one or Deathrite Shaman, him to Turok on two, Liliana on a three, ride Tarmogwaif on four all the way home. And that was like what it wanted. It was basically a blue jump. Mm -hmm. And like there was never a chance for Ponder to be in the equation for that. Or, they or were, you were like spiking Ancestral enough that you, you know, like you were fine. Right not having the consistency of ponder um, and increasing the variance within your deck because of the raw power that ancestral provided you. Right. And even like, I'm trying to think of other decks, the Bam. old um, legends miracles before he picked up, before Joe picked up ponders, like his mana, his mana was tied mm -hmm. up three clicks, two to fairies. Like that's just three J's four terminus top yeah. like you were dumping all of your you're either using your excess mana on vendillion click plus caracas or uh vencer plus caracas or you were like dumping it in the top and uh terminus and you know the like and then eventually snapcaster found right. its way into that list and uh you know yeah so i think like when you look at the ponders versus like the ponder number, I think a lot of times we, we, uh, you know, well, there's a there's a disposition of going well. They don't have four ponders. Well, really look at like the rest of their deck and say, eh, maybe they don't want four ponders. Maybe their deck's trying to get busy in the first three turns, like a proper legacy deck should. So like, I get it. Like show and tell plays four ponders because they want to. They want the ability to craft the hand that goes off on well you also have to just play cantrips you know. in your a plus b combo deck right <laughs> right but i'm saying like they want to craft that perfect like technically they could play um what's the blue card dream holes like they could actually just play more they don't, they're not playing the maximum number of copies of cards that they could but they want to play ponders because they want to get to what they need just like storm right storm Storm wants to get to craft the perfect hand to go off. You know, that that that's why Blue Reanimator died. Blue Reanimator died because 
it was actually incorrect. It was kind of building the same deck as Storm and Show and Tell, but Storm and Show and Tell's thresholds are like turn three, turn two, sometimes, you know, turn four, always. And they were like, you know, somebody said, you know, well, let's play the black red reanimator. We don't need ponders and brainstorms and stuff. We don't need a cantrip. We're just going to play more of the same powerful effects and we're just going to kill them. We don't want the game to last forever. Yeah, the other thing is like people realize that if your reanimator deck's critical turn is like turn three, that's probably not good enough. And like when the nut draw of like blue black's nut draw is almost the average draw of red black reanimator and it's more susceptible to disruption and a wider array of disruption you know pyroblast and stuff like that and then they started throwing in like jsvp and all this other stuff uh you end up in these positions where you know you're just getting dismantled by incidental hate whereas black red by comparison uh, just plays you know it 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 forces the opponent to keep a certain range of hands and have certain interaction within a certain window whereas blue black didn't necessarily do that with the same consistency right i mean i it's it's funny i mean you would think well the blue black deck is the far superior deck because it gets the cantrip and it gets to fine but like you cut those cantrips out and you add in more animate deads and you add in more, you know, thought sees effects and your deck all of a sudden becomes a much more powerful as far as it's going to, it's going off on turn one and two, you know, that, that's the way to beat hate. I can try to go off on turn one and then I can try to go off on turn two in the same, you know, in the same game and you know, where the reanimator deck is going to go, all right, I'm going to take this turn off because I'm going to catch up a couple times well, your opponent gets the cantrip then as so well. So would you say that if you are building a deck that wants to be extremely proactive, there's probably value, just more value in being redundant than uh, having cantrips? Yes. I feel like you're more of a beatdown if you're not playing cantrips. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, I guess the... Uh, the caveat to that would be something like death and taxes, um, you know, which is technically a control deck. Uh, there's like another deck in mind, but you know, who cares? Like I feel like as soon as you enter into the cantrip cartel, you, you know, it's one of those things we don't like to talk about, but like. All the cantrips are tempo loss, right? Yeah, of course. Like any any effect where you're spending mana and not directly impacting the board is a tempo loss. And I think um, the decks that best use cantrips, if you look at something like Storm or Miracles or Delver, are decks that are fine taking that tempo loss, but they're able to do something as a follow-up that's like a back-breaking tempo gain. You know, you mentioned going turn one Delver and then turn two Ponder Wasteland, right? That is, you're taking a tempo loss, but then you're like immediately gaining it back or you're setting your opponent back or 
if you're playing miracles and you spend a bunch of turns cantripping, you're losing a bunch of tempo. But if you find that terminus and cast it and then follow that up with like a Jace the Mind Sculptor or an Oko or whatever, you are immediately gaining that tempo back and you're flipping the table. So it's almost like um it's almost like a rubber band effect, right? Like if you you're you're pulling on a rubber band and building up this tension and that's like you casting your cantrips. And if you let go of one end, you fling it across the room. And that's you, like, leveraging the cards that you find off of the cantrips. As opposed to, um, you know, the the non-blue or non-cantrip-centric decks, which don't necessarily have the ability to capitalize on these... No, what, what they're trying to do is they're pushing the rubber band. So while you're pulling the cantrip they're trying to push the rubber band and if they do their job the rubber band snaps and you lose so like that's the tension like you're pulling and pulling and hoping and hoping and pulling that you can let go and their job is literally to beat you down and not let you get to snap it back to stay right and we can look at like a hypothetical of like something like agrolum per se right where say you could play eight cantrips in agrolome. We'll, we'll just do this thought experiment, right? If you go ponder into wasteland and agrolome, it's going to be probably worse than like ponder into wasteland and delver because you're not going to have, it's, you're less likely to have the cheaper uh, threats in play, right? So your ability to leverage that effect is, uh, you're doing a different function. Your, your goal, your deck is operating differently. And, you you just lose that equity. So, you know, like a Liliana of the Veil is a good card, but it's if you do nothing for a few turns and then play a Liliana of the Veil, you're kind of just playing a three mana edict that isn't doing much. But if you, you know if you chalice the void to your opponent that they have to force will or you punishing fire their thing, you know, it's it's the it's the it's a matter of like the sum of the parts being or the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. Whereas these cantrip decks uh, do function in a similar philosophy, but uh, the individual effects, there's more stress put on individual effects than uh, synergy per se. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's one of those things. Like, I don't think they're actually synergy decks, except for the Delver decks, because Delver is a. Uh, obscene card that should have probably never been printed but that will never be it's accepted into the 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 thing because it gets to break the philosophy of the cantrips because it does work with them and work around them like almost all the other ones aren't really synergist they're not synergy they're just powerful effects that ponder can go find or brainstorm right and find but like delver is this effect that is like insane because it gets to break the mold and be a a turn one play that you can ponder afterwards and set up and make stronger. It's kind of a weird, well, I don't think weird Delver I don't know. specifically like matters in this analogy per se. Like my point is that a, a deck, no, I just, it's sh- just one of those cards. Sure. My like, point is that a deck like, um, like, like Agrolome or goblins or whatever, like death and taxes, they're built like, you know, a lot of legacy decks are built around snowballing, but their way of snowballing is kind of nickel and diming you with 
a bunch of effects that they're like they add up into something some overwhelming force whereas a delver deck yes there is some amount of synergy but you're mostly just leveraging good cards same with miracles so you're not trying to get your thalia plus your mother runes plus getting like a gta down you're just trying to like get a threat in play have the relevant disruption when you need it and like that's where your synergy is coming from yeah i mean i don't even know if honestly if they could play cantrips if they have the ability to because their mana almost all those decks they if so if they don't use their mana up when they're playing if they if they had the room to play them they probably kept a hand that wasn't well, adequate where like if if you're playing dnt that's like your mana's probably that's what i was saying with the agrolone thing and liliana yeah. the veil um right like right. even if these decks could in theory put cantrips in them uh like it they wouldn't function as well because these decks don't have the high ceiling or like high even high floor effects in them to leverage properly the way these blue shells do right i mean you have to have you almost have to create either a catch-up card or have the delver of secrets card because that's kind of like why i went off about delver for a second because i was thinking about it like almost all the blue soup decks that play the ponder they have like a catch-up card that affords them the ability to play ponder you take the turn off to play ponder now delver's the outlier because delver is basically the catch-up card that starts before you <laughs> like they play it down and then it flips to the three two and immediately like most decks have to figure out like oh my god i gotta deal with this thing right away so you know it's and if they're playing proper delver proper lawrence Harmon delver they're playing uh lightning mm -hmm. bolts so they the removal will also be extra turns of delver attacking you <laughs> so you know it's kind of a it's kind of a weird thing like i was just thinking about it like i think the ponder decks are mostly these decks with a with a greater powerful effect that lets them catch back up for the tempo loss oh yeah for sure and so. I, I i agree with that um in terms of kind of the next topic we had uh just ratios of effects right like how many cantrips do you want how many haymakers how like how do you go about deciding these things uh we kind of touched on that a little bit in terms of like figuring out what your deck is trying to do are you an infect or death and taxes or agrolome where you're trying to run over your opponent because then you're probably going to prioritize either in the case of like agrolome you're prioritizing having mostly disruptive effects that tear your opponent apart until you kill them eventually you know or uh infect is mostly proactive effects with just enough disruption to get you through i think it's mostly a matter of looking at your deck figuring out what you're doing and then figuring out which way you have to lean to properly facilitate your deck's game plan yeah, I, this is like a really tough question because like a year ago I would have said something and this year makes me... What would you have said different. a year ago? Because I do... Um, 
I think you would have been. I would have been like identify your role. Are you a tempo, mid range, control, um, and then identify like the the most prevalent decks that you're targeting, and and instead like that was me a year ago. A year now, I'm more like um, I think all decks should have more things in them that are super powerful because we've kind of gotten this critical amount of stuff printed that are you know that are actually playable as you know for a couple years in a row we only had like five or six cards that were like actually you know printed in a solid year that were like powerful last year was a you know weird year and we've got all these effects and they're all like kind of super bonkers so like i think like like even like a miracles deck you know a traditional miracles deck like when me you first started talking and hanging out we were like you know, three Snapcasters, two Entreats, uh, three Jaces. So, like, really, you were looking at, like, five real win cons, and then, you know, the three Snapcasters as backup win cons, right? Would you say that's, like, that's Yeah, accurate? the deck went from, like, Dirtle Control to, like, Entreat the Angels stuff, and then the Snapcaster plan, and then eventually it became, like, kind of just this mid-range deck that had counterbalance and... um monastery mentor and like you could argue that miracles was by the end of its tenure uh with top it wasn't actually a control deck it was more of a prison deck because um like you know a control deck is mostly trying to gain card advantage and react to what its opponent's doing and dismantle that game plan whereas miracles had just a lot of you had like the counter spells and you had the termini or whatever but you had this mass of effects that your opponent had to respect and warp their play patterns to play around, which isn't traditional of control shells in general. Like they, they were combo-ish. They were combo decks. Like that's why I know that a lot of people that hate hearing that, but it's like I feel like, like Miracles is a combo deck. Like I get my top balance and play. Woohoo! <laughs> like there was just like so many game states where that just kind of like worked right that was like your blood moon like i guess prison is the right word but like i don't know i I feel like what i'm trying to say is like the old decks like that were one thing but these new decks that we're playing like they've got like you know two jaces two okos um they've got like more stuff and on treat also like there's just more stuff there's in a, these decks. There's so, a like, lot of games that Miracles plays now where it's just like answer two things, hit my fifth land drop, uh, entreat the angels, play my sixth land, fetch, entreat the angels again. Where you're just like machine gunning them with your winning cons. Right, and and I think like all of so like not just Miracles, but like even the Delver decks. The Delver decks used to traditionally play 10 to 12 win cons and that was it and now we're looking at 13 14 15 the number just keeps the going number up is going up right? but you also have to look at like you know a card like brazen bar would used to be an effect like edict or vapor snag so just by the nature of card design uh well that that's kind of what i'm trying to say it's like like oko is the same way right because Oko is technically a removal spell, and it's yeah. a win con. 
like I think that's what that's where I'm trying to say is like it, it seems to me like when you look at some like the new numbers on a lot of effects were getting higher because the cards are more powerful they're doing they're more flexible they're doing more things you know so like when I look at like what my win cons I, I would think that I would play more win cons than less compared to you know me a year ago me a year ago I was like man I, I don't want to win I just want to not lose and I think that philosophy is 100% incorrect. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because, um, and then, like, as far as, like, interaction, you know, it's going to be the classic thing where I want four Force of Wills and then two other counter spells at least. Um, and that's, like, the bare minimum. Like, I want six, I want four Forces and two others. Bare minimum. And then, realistically, I probably want more. You know, if I can get away with it, um, I don't know how you build your. You're probably the same way, right? Like, cause you play Delver a lot, and you like you like being protected. Um, it depends on my disruption speed. Like, it's right now. I usually play like five forces, kind of minimum, and then tweak from there. Uh, if I have Dreadhorde Arcanus in my deck, I tend to lean towards six forces because the play pattern of like slam dreadhorde arcanus and then force will your thing or like force negation your removal spell untap cantrip you know go off or whatever uh same thing with young pyromancer like these cards uh they reward you for increasing your density of free counter magic so right and then like haymakers or not haymakers but interaction like removal if i'm playing miracles i want at least two sweepers four swords and then if I have Okos and Teferis, I can stop uh, there because they're technically pseudo-removal spells. Four swords, three sweepers is usually my minimum, but I think it depends. Like, if you have um, Coatl in your deck, then you can probably get away with three Terminus. But if you're not playing Coatl, I think I'm inclined to just play the four Terminus, even if you have Oko or whatever, uh, because Terminus is so important in those matchups and... Uh, if you don't have the additional speed bumps, you're forced to find Terminus at a faster clip. So you you want uh, you want the max number in your deck. Well, I play I do play snakes. I play four snakes. So like I think that like and that's all. Once again, these are more effects that are like creatures and removal spells and cantrips. So like they change a lot of numbers all at one time. So you know. And beyond that, like I like my eight cantrips, but I'm also playing astro astrolabes, which are a cantrip. So technically, I'm at twelve, and then the four snakes. So I'm technically at what, yeah, 16 you're at sixteen cantrips. cantrips. Um, so I'm not I'm I'm not only at eight, just eight of the traditional blue cantrips. Yeah, and then and Teferi. I play three Teferis or two Teferis. I play a lot of Teferis in my deck list. So like my you know my deck kind of plays the same every time, but you know it is also the nature of they've made all these Silvergill adept effects. So you know I don't know beyond that. Like you know the those are you know for me like when you're playing all those same cantrips, you are getting like the same kind of redundancy with your deck every time. So, and that can be a good or a bad thing. I can, you know, argue after playing a lot of cube that that's not necessarily a good thing. 
but you know if you want the competitive nature i think that playing those redundancy effects will make your deck basically especially with the london mulligan you're just going to play the same game over and over again. do you think the london mulligan affects uh like how you build your deck in terms of playing cantrips um no um not really um i i actually don't think it's actually that much of a positive effect except for the oko the fact that it lets you get more shots at finding oko if, or i guess your bombs your small bombs um i i think blue decks don't receive as much love from the london effect as other decks but maybe that's fair well because blue decks are so prevalent. well that's the thing like with the london mulligan are you more likely to play um are you more likely to play a deck that doesn't play cantrips just because that like the power level of cards is increased so having an intrinsically powerful opening hand as opposed to spending mana you know sculpting a hand uh, becomes a bit more appealing right i have played um a lot more non-blue decks since the london mulligan so um i would say yes <laughs> because like you know there's so many percentage of, i don't know what the percentage of games it is that you would win by having turn one chalice um but you know in the dark i'm pretty sure it's the best thing to do bar none you know is turn one chalice or turn one grizzlebrand with reanimator so you know i i really think about like when you've got something like that in a deck like you know there was a tear that eric landon was you know destroying all of us with reanimator and i'm pretty sure it's because you know you you get certain effects and you just like everybody's like yeah you get more shots at your hate but th then the reanimator deck gets more shots at the answers to hate too so it's kind of a reciprocal thing so and, I, and it's it comes down to it i would rather be the beatdown if I want to win, right? Like, you know, you, you'd rather always be the proactive deck. So I feel like with the London Mulligan rule and the power level of certain decks, I think like it's probably better to consider being non-blue, but I don't know. So, you know, blue blue does give you more agency. And I think that's why we, we gravitate towards it. I know that's why I do. And from conversations with you, I assume that's the same way. You like... You like the control that blue gives you over your deck. Uh, to a degree. Um, I think it's more that, like, for years my general tenant was I'm either playing Brainstormer and playing, like, Life from the Loam, just something that allows me to break some rule of magic or just get some advantage. And, uh... Well, that's deck selection right. too, right? I mean, Life of the Loam is probably a more powerful deck selection tool than Ponder will ever be. <laughs> so. Potentially. Like, <clears throat> if Life of the Loam was a blue card, it would just be, like, way too broken, right? Like, if you could play a blue deck that yes. never missed a land drop and then could also, like, utilize effects that converted those land drops into things. So, it being in green is, like, the... So, red and six. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Well, that thought experiment ended abruptly. 
Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that, but you said those exact words. Never miss a land drop and then eventually turn those land drops into something else. I was like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Never had that happen before. But anyway, we're running a little long. How about we wrap this up? We can probably discuss like yeah. building a sideboard another time. Um, that... I actually that that's probably an episode. Yeah, building itself. constructing right. sideboards between like blue decks and non-blue decks is a whole thing and it's just you know how you weigh the meta game and everything. So yeah, we'll we'll dive into that another week. So uh Yeah. Um I did want to give uh a shout out to Negator for filling in last week. That was amazing. Um, I don't know if he's listening to this or not, but if he does, does, thank you very much. Um, I don't know when you contacted him, but I'm assuming he came on uh, like 24 hours notice. Um, that's, that's amazing. Um, and I wanted to shout out, uh, a Nathan B for joining the Patreon. Um, <laughs> um, I think that's all I have. Do you got anything nope, you want to add? Uh, not really. So, all right. Well, if if you want to get a hold of us, you can get a hold of me on Twitter at Raceland I M Lawrence at Lawrence Harmon, uh, Liz, our wonderful editor at Eli of the Veil. And the Thirst for Knowledge cast at Thirst for Casts. And uh, I look forward to talking to you next week, man. See ya.